Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it really, really hurts? If God is so good, if God is so good, then why is there so much evil in the world? Anybody ever asked those questions before? Anybody ever been asked those questions before? Where is God when it, I mean, really hurts? We're not talking about a paper cut hurt here. We're talking about the gut punch, the getting kicked in the mouth, punched in the throat. We're talking about the time of, of, of hurt that really leads to mourning and grief and great sorrow and pain. Many times believers ask those questions why a lot of non-believers will find, often use as an apologetic for their non-belief, if your God is so good, then why is there so much evil in the world? And these are great Great questions. They're difficult sometimes to even answer. In our passage today, we once again meet up with the disciples of John the Baptist. They have once again come from John asking Jesus a question. The last time that we saw them was when um, the disciples of John came and asked Jesus while he was at a party. He was eating and drinking, and, and they come to Jesus, and they want to know what's up with, why isn't he and his disciples fasting? And if you listen back to a few sermons ago, we dove into that idea and those questions. But remember, Jesus, or excuse me, John is the, the cousin of Jesus. When Mary goes to Elizabeth, John's mother, and speaks and says, I'm with child, I'm, I, I, God has impregnated me, I am carrying the Messiah. The Bible tells us what? That immediately John, this baby within the womb of Elizabeth, begins, he is filled with the Holy Spirit that he begins to somewhat do somersaults with inside of her, overjoyed at the realization of the coming Messiah. Jesus would even say, as we have read inside of this passage here, that he is the most important person up until this date. John is a prophet. Remember, he's the guy that is probably taking a Nazarite vow, meaning there's a lot of religious stipulations that he has placed with on himself. He's got long hair. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's covered in camel's hair. He's out in the, the middle of the desert calling people to repentance. He's baptizing them. He's extremely significant for Jesus, as the Bible has foretold in the Old Testament, that he's the forerunner, that there will be one that is crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And there are famous quotes by John the Baptist, aren't there? Prepare the way of the Lord, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. When, when Jesus walks into the scene, all of his attention is, is turned toward Jesus, it is turned away from John the Baptist, and it is immediately like a billboard. John the Baptist is pointing towards Jesus, saying, I am not he, but, but this is the guy. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we see that John says, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but he is coming after me, is, 
is lighter than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I love in the Gospel of John, isn't it? John the Baptist who looks at Jesus in the middle of the crowd and points him out and says, Behold, grabs their attention, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Was it not John the Baptist who eventually would say it is he that must increase and I must decrease? Jesus walks up to the baptizer and he says, hey, John, you, you need to baptize me because, maybe he didn't say it that way, but he, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And what does John immediately do? No, 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 no. I'm not getting, I'm not dunking you. Like, you need to dunk me. This is John. Needless to say, John the Baptist has his theology straight. John the Baptist believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist knew his role in this story. He knew his responsibility. He knew that he was not the Messiah, but he knew that Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, we learn that John had been arrested. And the Bible just kind of, at that point in Matthew, just drops it. So in Matthew chapter 4, it just says Jesus, John, uh, excuse me, John is, is put into prison, and then it just goes on with Jesus' ministry. And so John has now been in prison all of this time. It's believed for, for several, 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 several months now. Once Jesus came on the scene, John kind of fades into the sunset in prison. So John's disciples come to Jesus when he's at Matthew's house, again, asking about fasting. And after that point, we really haven't heard much about John or his disciples. And then we get into Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words by his disciples. So all the stuff that we've been exploring over the last several months, all the miracles, all the, the raising of the dead girl, the, the healing of the lame and the blind, the de demon-possessed men, the preaching, the teaching, all of these things, John has not seen them. But he begins to wrestle. He begins to question. And he asks this question in our passage, doesn't he? He sends these, these guys, hey, go ask Jesus this because I'm struggling with this question. And what's the question? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a stark difference, isn't it? from the quotes that I just gave you. There's a major difference in the wording of this John the Baptist than the John the Baptist who is saying, I must decrease so that, that he might increase. Or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or, or hey, hey, the real king has come, so I'm going to ride off into the sunset. My job is essentially done here. 
This is a major, major difference that that John, that same John, can go from preaching that way to now is sending people to Jesus and asking him the question, hey man, are, are you the guy who I think that you are? Or should we be looking for another? John the Baptist doubts Jesus. John the Baptist doubts Jesus. Now notice what I did not say. John is not saying that he doesn't believe in Jesus. Or that he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. See, doubt doesn't come from the non-believer. Typically, doubt comes within the heart of the believer. And it's no less doubt, though. Do I believe what... I say, I believe. Is this really true? I believe it's true, but I'm not for sure if it's true. See, Jesus, excuse me, John had believed that Jesus was the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament, but now he is starting to wonder is this the guy? What has changed for John? In the birth narratives of John, pretty much it sounds like this really cavalier, maverick kind of guy. John is going to, to live by the beat of his very own drum. He is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He's the most important prophet in all of the scripture outside of Jesus. The Bible tells us early on in the birth narratives that pretty much by the time that, that he is, is weaned off of his mother, where is he living? In the wilderness, like in the, in the desert, there's not a lot of trees in the desert. He is out there from the very beginning. God has a special anointing on this child, on this young man, and on this man to preach the gospel, to preach repentance, to baptize people. And, and this is where John has been living all of his life up until this very moment, but something, his position has drastically changed. John has went from being involved in ministry to now being placed in the depths of a, a, a terrible, terrible, terrible pit under King Herod. It's believed that he was actually placed into one of the worst dungeons imaginable. So go from living outside all of your life, more like an animal than a man, to being placed in a deep, dark hole. And this is where John has been living now for several, several, several months. See, I don't think that this is a coincidence um, that we have this story falling right after what we talked about last week. If you were here last week, we talked about the ramifications of preaching the gospel, the ramifications of, of living in response to Jesus, the ramifications of living a missional life, that all of us, if you are an authentic Christian, you are a disciple, you are a missionary. You're either an obedient one or a disobedient one, but you're not, uh, you, know, you don't have the option not to be that. That is what we are. It is our DNA. And yet Jesus tells them quickly, I want you to know, here's what the deal is. I'm sending you out like wolves, uh, or excuse me, like sheep into a wolf's den. You're going to be persecuted. Your parents are going to turn you over to death. 
That if you don't pick up your cross and follow after me, you're not, you're not worthy of, of this calling, of this, this belief. You must love me more than you love your own mom, your own dad, your own brother, your own sister, your own family. And, and we have all of these ramifications of ones that are preaching and teaching the gospel. Jesus sends them off and immediately, what do we have? We have a, an illustration of a man who is placed into the depths of the earth. Why? because he is preaching that Jesus is the king. Immediately following all of those things that Jesus is saying back in chapter 10. The first thing I want you to understand of why I think John is this way is, is point number one, if I have points. Is doubt doesn't typically sprout in believers during seasons of ease, but it, during seasons of great difficulty. See, doubt dwells amongst believers. When does it come? When do we begin to question? Where is God when it hurts? I don't know if you've ever read the Psalms before, but over and over and over and over again, there's this lamenting. And we're not used to lamenting within church. We just say, man, that preacher's depressed or those songs are depressing. Well, if you read the Bible, lamenting is a part of the Christian life. Many of the songs are these laments, these struggles, like, God, I'm, I'm in the, the pit here. Do you hear me crying out to you? Where are you? My enemies are coming against me. They suppress me. I'm in the whole of the earth. I'm in the great abyss. Where are you? See, doubt comes to believer, not in the seas when there's, you know, fairy dust and unicorns and leprechauns running around, but no, it comes when you cannot see your literal hand in front of your face because of the depths of the agony of your pain and darkness. That is when you're doubtful. That's when doubt is most triggered. During what? During times of suffering, times of pain, times of sorrow, times of grief, when things just really aren't going our way. This is John. This is John. Things had gotten really, really bad for John. When he's out in the wilderness preaching, I mean, his, his numerical growth of conversion is unbelievable about what is happening out in the desert. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, metropolis here. We're, we're talking out in rural in the middle of nowhere, God begins to do something out in the middle of the desert that is going to affect the city. See, a lot of times we think we've got to go to urban areas, which I think is extremely important. That's strategic. It's good stewardship. All those things. We in America have a tendency to be affected greatly more by our cities than we do, you know, Evanston County, Right? But do not neglect the truth that God could do something in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, that ha would have great 
ramifications on the city of Bowling Green, on Louisville, on Lexington, on our state, and in our world. It can happen. God is that big. Do not believe, because we are from lowly Bowling Green, that God cannot use and have global impact on the people from this place. Things were going well. They were in a groove. And yet now, where is John? Shackled, probably starving to death, in a hole in the ground. We have caged this gospel animal. See, when life is in a groove, we, we typically do not have difficulty believing God is good, do we? Anybody ever find a $20 bill laying on the ground? $100 bill? A dollar? <laughs> Man, I walk by and find a quarter, and I'm like, boom! God, you're so good. You're so good, right? Or, or you're speeding, and you pass a cop, right? And he doesn't pull you over immediately. Praise the Jesus. You know, you're putting in your favorite Chris Tomlin, hit and repeat. Man, God, you're so good. You're, you're so awesome. You're a good, good father. Thank you for not allowing me to get pulled over, though. You have shown me mercy. I deserve to be punished, and yet you withheld the punishment. See, it is easy to believe that God is good when things are quote-unquote good. When seasons, like we like to call it, are good. God appears to be faithful. He appears to be trustworthy. He appears to be sovereign. However, in the worst of times, what do we have the tendency to do? To question God. To question Him. To, to doubt. Are you really as good as you say that you are? Are your promises as true? Will they be as true as you say that you will? Where are you, God? And, and please get me this this morning. I am not in any way trying to suppress our pain and our difficulty, but this, it is in those moments. I'm talking about really gut-wrenching moments. I am not talking about the moments that are caused by our sin, but I, I am talking about the moments caused by, number one, the mission why is John in prison to begin with? He is not a drinker. He's taking a Nazareth vow. He will not have an alcoholic beverage. He's not the town drunk. He has not murdered anyone. He has he, he not you know, stolen from anyone. He has he not committed treason. No, he is preaching the gospel and therefore it places him into a suffering position. He is doing this for the kingdom of God. He is doing this for God's glory and his majesty and the goodness of the Father. And yet, where does he end up? He ends up in a hole. And he begins to wonder, where are you, God? You know, it, 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 this type of suffering and questioning could come when, man, our kids are acting up. When cancer comes knocking on our family's door. When we have a lifelong illness. These types of suffering, we begin to wonder, God, where are you or how could you? 
The second way the doubt begins to sprout up into our lives or into the believer's lives is when our expectations are not met. When our expectations are not met. See, what we can pick up on here is John, though he was the best of the Jewish understanding of the gospel, John still believed that as the king Messiah would come, was that immediately that king would overthrow the Roman government. That immediately he would uh, establish true Judaism. That he would remove the, the pagan influences, that they would have Jerusalem would be in their power and in their control. And yet, Jesus has now been on the scene for several months, possibly over a year now, and guess what? Rome is still Rome. The Pharisees are still in, in, in great, um, you know, causing great struggle and great issue in the lives of the people. Jesus is here, but instead of overthrowing the Romans, what is Jesus doing? Hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, drunks, and gluttons. See, John's expectation was wrecked by, by the true working of Jesus. John is sitting in jail. Jesus is out there. And, and John's whole identity crisis on who he thinks the Messiah is, is and what the Messiah should be doing, Jesus is not doing those things. And so, I mean, he's sitting there rotten in this hole. And he's like, all right, Jesus, overthrow these Romans. Overthrow Herod, free us. Isn't this what the Messiah has, has come to do? How many of you all in this room today are, are people of great expectations? I'm a person of high expectations. I have high expectations on you. And I would assume that you have high expectations on me. You should. But I'm, I'm a person, I have great expectations. The problem with this is with, when it goes to extremes. You know, one of the great things about um, Ava, my daughter, is um, Ava, I love being around that girl because Ava has the tendency to find the greatest joys in the smallest of things. All right? I'm talking about the smallest of things. That girl can absolutely lose her mind over. She knows how to celebrate the smallest of things. I mean, she can get red in the face. Some of you have probably seen this. She can get red in the face. I mean, she's just shaking with excitement. Here in a few months, we will go Christmas tree cake hunting. That's what we do every year for little Debbie's. And when we find them in the middle of Walmart, she is going to lose her mind. I took her this week, um, well, I took my wife, Ava got to come, <laughs> if you ask Laura, to Dave & Buster's in Nashville. And um, Ava spun this thing, and she got a thousand tickets. And they might as well handed the girl a million dollars. She lost her mind. Now, the difficulty, though, with being that extreme is, is that when your expectations aren't met, it is a crushing blow. It is crushing. 
I mean, for instance, Ava, when she has expectations on what the food is going to be like, and then it doesn't meet her expectations, she loses her mind. It is miserable to be around. Because as extreme as she can go this way in celebration, when her expectations aren't met, like last night she was worried to death because she wanted her cousin Anna to come spend the night. But Anna was gone all day long. She was at another sleepover. She wasn't going to be getting home at late. And, and Ava last night, I mean, it's like going on, on after 9 o'clock, pushing 10 o'clock, and she's like, do you think that Anna's still going to come over here? And it was just depleting her. Why? Because her expectation was, is Anna's going to come over? Or we're going to do this. Brothers and sisters, many of us struggle with doubt because we have um, misinterpreted or we have a, a bad expectation on Jesus that he has not revealed of himself through the scripture. We kind of put the, that Jesus is this superhero that is going to rescue us from, from every speeding train that is coming toward us. That, that we place upon Jesus these expectations that he has not said of himself. And when he doesn't meet those expectations, then who are you? Who are you? I mean, isn't this the struggle that many of us have when we begin to really study the Scripture? And God begins to, to reveal to us Himself through His Scripture. And anybody ever lived in that tension before? Man, this is shaky. I don't know about this. You know, the idea that God would give us more than we could handle? And that's, that's a difficult thing. The, the reality that, man, I am not near as can, in control of the things in my life than I thought that I was. Man, that, that's, a, that's a difficult tension. The, the tension that, that God could, could take the life of one of our children in this room. And yet, God is no less God, and He is no less good, even if today one of our kids lose their lives. And I can, I can think of nothing probably worse on this earth than having to bury a child as a parent. And yet, knowing that, that God is sovereign, and that, that all of those things, that even though this event is, is difficult, it is working out for His glory and my good. And I can say that with a smile on my face, believing that here right now. Why? Because my kids are in the library this morning. We're not at a funeral home. Right? So my expectation is being met. But what if my expectation is not? Ever had expectation of your spouse? And they didn't meet it? How was dinner? Ever had an expectation of your kid? Don't do that in public. And then they do it. How does that go over? That's, that's difficult. I had this expectation. Ever have uh, a lot of people deal with what we call church hurt. And a lot of it is, is because we have placed expectations on our pastors and leaders that only Jesus can fulfill. From a pastor's perspective, 
We have great expectations on you. And that's just because you're disobedient that you don't follow them. <laughs> All right? <laughs> now I'm joking. We, have, we place expectations on you because you can become also our functional saviors. And our identity can be wrapped up in you. Our expectations can be wrapped up in you instead of our expectations being on the person and work of Jesus. The third point. Doubt often sprouts within our lives because we cannot see the complete picture of God's mission. Doubt often sprouts in our lives because we cannot see the complete picture of God's mission. Isn't this John? I mean, John has no idea what's going to happen. John has no idea, really, except for the, the witnesses that are coming and telling him about Jesus and what Jesus is doing. John cannot see this with his own eyes. All he can see is the cement or dirt floor that he is lying on and is rotting, probably waiting on his execution. That's what he can see. That is what he knows. He, he is struggling with that. And that struggle, brothers and sisters, is, is real. It is real for you. It is real for me as well. He does not know what Jesus knows, especially in regards to tragedy. God, where are you? When the chaos hits, when you have that prodigal kid, when you have a wayward husband, a wayward wife, when the, the pain seemingly does not end. If you've been in our MC before, you've heard Laura and I say, you know how people will talk about difficult seasons in their life. Well, we're just in a difficult season, but, but God will get us through this. And Laura just said, man, that's called our lives. We've been together 18 years, married 15 of those. And I'm telling you, it, not our marriage hasn't been rocky. It's had, it's had seasons. But all in all, there has been a difficulty and a strain within our lives. I mean, we ask the question a lot of times, like, man, what, what are you, God, like, what are you doing in this? What are, you, what are you trying to see? All we can see is this in this chaos. All we can see is right in front of us what is transpiring we don't see everything that you are seeing. I love this quote from David Platt. He says this, In reality, many of our questions and doubts often spring from these same factors. It's often in the midst of challenging circumstances that faith is the hardest to come by, especially when we've been walking with the Lord. Isn't that true? Like we walk with God... We, we expect good things. It's karma Christianity. You do good things, good things happen to you. You do bad things, bad things are supposed to happen to you. What really is terrible is when you do good things and bad things happen to you and your neighbor across the street is a terrible, wretched person and great things keep happening to them while terrible things keep happening to you. Don't you hate that? Let's get really honest today. Don't we hate that? 
Yes. I mean, that's a major struggle, a, a major issue for us is that. He keeps going. Especially when we have been walking with the Lord, faithfully serving and worshiping Him. And then tragedy hits. Maybe multiple tragedies. We think, God, where are you? We don't understand why certain things are happening, especially when our trials seem to be getting in the way of our desire to serve God. We know He's good, but we can't understand why the struggle won't end. God, if you are good, then why did I lose my job? Why did my mom die? Why does my friend have cancer this week? Last night I got a call from a lady I worked when I was a teenager with. This is before I was a Christian. I had multiple conversations with her about Jesus. Multiple conversations with her about the gospel before I was a Christian with this lady. She died last night of cancer. Her family contacts me, and it's been years since I've seen Miss Sarah, and I love her. And now I'm preaching her funeral this week. And I hope Miss Sarah knew Jesus. She claimed to of a long, long time ago. I pray that Jesus knew her. Man, why? Man, why does Hurricane Matthew, not that we're happy that it hit the United States, but why does it have to hit an impoverished country like Haiti? See, when you have friends that live there and you're being sent pictures of places where you've stood that are now feet of mud and shanty shacks and tents that have been completely swept away at the loss of lives. You know, God, why? I mean, it's bad in America, okay? But we understand that we have an infrastructure. Our buildings are quite different than a large majority of a fourth world country like Haiti. God, why? Why you got to do that? Haven't they been through enough? We had the earthquake. We had a hurricane. Major government issues, all, all these sorts of things. Like, haven't, haven't they got it enough? Where are you? We don't see the whole picture. See, once again, the difficulty that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 10 is the experience of John. It is not caused by sin. That's, that's a different suffering because of sin is a different sermon for a different day. This suffering is caused through obedience. You see the difference? John, like us, cannot complete the picture, can he? John is, is, is trying to be rescued in the present. 
But God, Jesus, is trying to rescue an eternity. Jesus' mission is, is past, present, and future, but let's all face it, man. We just want Jesus to show up in the here and now in this very moment to, to rescue my financial needs, to rescue my relational needs. I'm not even worried about the suffering caused by, by, by being engaged in mission, man. I just want to make it through today. How do I do that, Jesus? Because I do not understand what you have painted before me. Everybody know what a pixel is? A pixel is this little square. I, I put a picture. I don't know if it's going to work. You can kind of see it. A pixel is just a square of color. All images are made up of pixels. When you watch something on the television screen, it is bazillions amounts of pixels. And when you take all those pixels of different shades and you put them all together, then that forms a picture, right? But, but all we see... In our current state of life is what? One small piece of the pie. One piece, one pixel. And man, if you've been handed, if brown is your favorite color, I'm sorry, that's weird, but if brown is your deal, if you're handed the brown pixel, and that's all you got, and that's all you can see, man, you can get really lost in doubt and not seeing the beauty of that pixel. Why? Because that is all that you have seen. However, God sees a very different picture than what we see, right? And I've, I don't know if it's going to show up. This is like a beautiful beach scene, if you can imagine. See, God sees all of that. And each one of us in this life are, are only given a small portion of that picture. And if, man, if that's all that we can see, if all of our expectations, if all of our identity is only found in that very small square, and I get it because we don't see what God sees. We don't know all that God knows. We don't see that his hand, his sovereign hand, is, has strategically placed all of those. Those are both blessings that is you know, like standing on a mountain like I've had the opportunity to do and looking over the ocean, I mean, it's just absolutely breathtaking. And yet, Hurricane Matthew is one of those squares who make up the image of God's redemptive plan. I don't understand all the nuances of that. Because I'm not God. I don't understand how... You know, thousands of babies can be aborted every day. I, I, I don't understand how, how all of that fits into God's sovereignty and His plan. I don't understand the Holocaust. And I, I don't understand the, the birthing process of watching my own two children come into this world, but I just know it was beautiful. It was amazing to watch that, that this little being has been knitted together inside of my wife's womb. And, and nine months later, she, she gave birth. And I don't understand everything that's happening, but I know all of these things have to be practically perfect for that child to be born into this world. And yet that is as beautiful. And it is, it is one of those pixels in that giant scheme, that giant image. And if we just get lost in, in that pixel, we just want to hold on to just that. And if that is all that we will see, we'll miss the grandness of God and who he is. See, Jesus comforts John, doesn't he? 
Jesus comforts John. How does he comfort John? He comforts John through the word by both revealing his identity and his mission. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, when he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Hey, go tell John this. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame men uh, leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Go tell John this. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, in the streams, in the desert. And then he goes on to Isaiah 61.1. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So this is what Jesus tells the disciples of John. He says, hey, go, go tell them this. In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 7, telling this same story, it's, it's awesome because there's something else that happens in this passage. In Luke 7, 21, it says, In the hour, so John's disciples have come to Jesus, and this is not, not only does Jesus say, Go tell them that I've healed these people. But in Luke 7, 21, it says this, In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So not only does Jesus say, hey, go tell John that I'm doing all these things. Hey, let me, let me show you this. And he proves to John's disciples So does John still doubt? Turn with me in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 14. And we learn why John is in prison and we learn what happens. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why the, the miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him into prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So Herod falls in love with his brother's wife. Because John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. So John knows what the king has done. This is not right. For you to steal your brother's wife, to take your brother's wife, and he is boldly proclaiming that. And though he wanted to him, excuse me, wanted to be put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Essentially, from what we can pick up, it's Herod's birthday. His now lover, girlfriend, who's his brother's wife, has a daughter. She comes in. It's believed that she does um, some sort of striptease for Herod. And listen to what it says. The daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and it pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. 
And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. John remains in prison. He's heard from his disciples. They have bared, given witness to the miraculous work of Jesus. And all because of a, 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 a wretched woman and her daughter and, and a rancid king, John's head is now on a platter because he spoke the gospel. And yet, what is the response of John's disciples? They go and tell Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, I would say that, that, that the report that came back, that it was, it was that, okay, hey, Jesus, I, I believe that you are the Messiah, but I am in this pit, and I need to know that, 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 that you are him. And if I know that you're him, then whatever happens to me, then I can make this. If you are who you say that you are, then I can make this. I, I can be faithful to this. I will remain faithful to this. I will, even unto death, I will preach the gospel. I will call people to repentance. And guess what happened to John? That's exactly what happened. But he was given the strength, the encouragement to know that this is what he can do because of this scene. This passage will go on. John's disciples leave. Jesus um, they begin to ask questions. Why is John asking these sorts of questions? And Jesus, he, he, he encourages John. He's, that's when he makes the statement, man, this is the most important prophet that we have ever had. Imagine that coming from Jesus. He shows great respect. He shows great honor to him. And even goes on further that, hey, if you follow me, you will be criticized. This culture doesn't understand itself. There's, we like this word in our culture right now, especially in the fall, of the word flip-flopping. Our culture is constantly flip-flopping. It doesn't know what it wants. It doesn't know if it should be dancing like it's at a wedding. It doesn't know if it should be mourning like it's at a funeral. They don't, they don't like John because uh, he does these things, and they don't like Jesus either. And Jesus does the exact opposite. He, the, the culture hates both of those things. If you follow Jesus, you are going to be criticized by this world, and yet God has called us to be faithful to whom he really is in his word. To trust his promises even in the most difficult of seasons. So what are the typical responses to these truths? Quickly, number one is when you doubt, you begin, some people respond this way. This doubting leads to bitterness. It leads to anger. It leads to you pushing away from the table. So when times get tough, when times get rocky, when your emotions are spent, when your family is spent, you will have the tendency then to push away from the community of God. You will push away from Scripture. You will push away from prayer. And I believe that you really think that you will have a I will show you mentality. I'll show you, God. I'm just going to be disobedient. You've got, I'm in this pit. I don't understand it. I don't see all that you see. You say that you're good. 
but I'm in this hole. It doesn't seem like it's going to end. And so I'm just going to be, and I've been trying to be faithful. So I'm just going to walk away from the gospel, from the church, from praying, from scripture reading. I'm pushing away from the table. Let me warn you, as I believe Jesus and John the Baptist, you need to repent of that mentality because eventually what that will lead to, brothers and sisters, is it probably will lead to unbelief, which meant that you truly didn't believe in the first place. The second response is this. You'll push into prayer. You'll push into study. You will push into fasting. You will push into community. However, this is to manipulate Jesus into changing your situation. So one, you push away. I'm not going to do these things. The second response is you push into these things, but it's in hopes of trying to manipulate God. Anybody ever done that before? Man, if I don't eat for three days, I know you'll do it. Hey, God, aren't you impressed with me? I'm reading my Bible more. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be more dedicated. And, and I'm going to be able to come to you with a defense and say, this is what you need to do in my life because look at all the things that I have been doing. That's the second response that a lot of people will fall into. They will press into the Word. They will press into the church. But they're doing so to manipulate God, trying to control God. Isn't this what one of the thieves did on the cross? See, their question is very different than John's. If you're doing this, then, hey, prove it, Bubba. Get us off of here. Come on. And that's what we will do as well. When we believe in some way that if we prayed more, if we'll tighten up our bootstraps and work harder, then God will change whatever this situation is. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know, you may do that and God never changed. Why? Because he sees the big picture. And if you could see the big picture, you wouldn't want him to change it either. If I could see the big picture, I wouldn't want him to change it either. The third response and the right response is this. We push into prayer. We push into study. We push into fasting. We push into community. To why? To understand the identity of Jesus deeper. Thus, giving us focus and strength, even if our circumstance does not change. Because when we do this, here's what we realize. Jesus does not change. Your circumstance may not change, but you will change. Jesus won't change. Your circumstance may not change. Cash is going to live with us the rest of our lives, people. First two years of that was a pit. Cash hasn't changed. Our circumstance hasn't changed. Guess what? Jesus hasn't changed. You know who's changed? Eric and Laura have changed. Why? Because we've pressed into study, pressed into fasting, pressed into communion, not trying to manipulate God or to manipulate our circumstance, but for God to change us. J.C. Ryle, doubting, doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you in closing this morning. Guess what? Jesus can handle your doubting. 
Jesus can handle your questions. Now, I'm not talking about those ridiculous questions like, can God build a rock so big that he can't move it? I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about your real questions. Guess what? Jesus can handle those questions. He's not afraid of your doubting. He's not afraid of your questions. May you be encouraged this morning. There was a point in Moses' journey as a leader, he wanted to give up. It was not going according to his plan. Yet God intervenes. There's a moment where Elijah is running from Jezebel, right? And he's like, just kill me. Just kill me. Let's end this. I'm done. I, I know that sounds weird, but I've, I've prayed that prayer. God, just take me out. Take me out. This is too much to bear. I don't see everything that you see, because what I see stinks. So just take me out. Heaven's going to be much glorious. My wife will be much richer if you kill me. So just take me out. Okay? Don't have anybody praising for resurrection. Now, that'll happen one day when Jesus comes back. I want to be gone. Like, I don't, don't, don't pull the Lazarus on me. Like, I, I want to be dead. Dead, dead, dead. Dead, dead. In heaven with Jesus. Right? Elijah is just, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I'm running from this woman. She's crazier than a loon. It, just kill me. Just kill me. What does God do? Intervenes. Changes Elijah's perspective, his expectations, his identity of God, his greater, he, God expands what he can see a little bit more. Jeremiah, that poor brother, I love that man. He does his entire ministry and nothing ever happens. Nothing. You think that man ever wants to give up? Yeah. When I first came back to Bowling Green, I had a friend of mine said, man, when I heard that you were coming back here, I thought within a few months the church would be over 500 people. I thought it would be instantaneous as soon as you came back here. I had a pastor in town tell me a few, weeks, uh, a few months ago, he says, Eric, I just want you to know you are the best preacher in our city. And you know what that did to me? It did not make me have a big head. It did the exact opposite. You know what I began to wrestle with? No, if I was really good, more people would come. So I'm not good. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible pastor. Right? People leave. You think, man, I'm a terrible pastor. Why? Because my identity is, my expectations aren't being met. Right? You're in a pit. All I can see is this. And yet God sees this. That's the story of Jeremiah. Man, I, I just need to give up on this. How about poor Joseph? Your fiancé shows up, hey, I'm pregnant, and you're not the dad. Isn't the gospel tell us that jo Joseph had a moment of, whoa, doubt? He's like, I just need to let this young princess go about her business, right? I need to respectfully decline to marry her. But what does God do? God shows up. He shows up. When Peter steps out on the boat with Jesus, he's like, hey, walk on out here. Peter starts to walk, right? Then Peter starts to look at his situation. He starts looking at the wind and the waves, and what does the Bible do? The Bible tells us that, that Peter begins to seek. I'm so glad that Jesus wasn't a jerk. Jesus doesn't go, swim harder! Right? Jesus doesn't do it as a little kid when you had a pool. We would try to run on water. Did anybody else try to do that as a little kid, teenager? I'm going to try to walk on water. Let's see how many steps you can get before you sink. And so you take off and you start running. Jesus didn't say like, you know, run faster, walk faster. What does Jesus do? He goes to Peter. He presses into Peter. Peter looks up, God, you got to help me. What does Jesus do? Ah. Drown. Blah, blah. It's not the end of Titanic. 
All right? Poor Jack. She, he could have got on that piece of wood. What does he do? He, he goes. When Thomas, after the resurrection, we, doubt, we call him Doubting Thomas. You know who's doubting? We all are. We all are. But notice what Thomas does. Hey, they're like, hey, Jesus is in the upper room over here, and Thomas doesn't go, well, I'm going to Chick-fil-A. Right? What does he do? He shows up. Jesus shows up, and, and Jesus, he's like, man, I don't know about this. I'm a cynic. I'm, I'm questioning this. I, I believe, but well, I, I'm not sure. What does Jesus do? Touch me. Press into me. You'll know my identity. You will know my mission. Jesus invites us to find rest and hope and security in him when our faith is waning and the weight of our circumstances seems unbearable. His plan is better. Brothers and sisters, look at me. Heaven is far better than any terrible heaven is for real book can paint. Heaven is far better than anything that you have ever seen. Heaven is far better than anything that Hollywood is ever trying to portray about it. Heaven is far better than anything that you and I can imagine. Heaven is greater than our expectations. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know, even the Bible tells us that this isn't all that Jesus did. Did you know that Jesus is better than everything that we could even learn rightly from this text? Like, He is better than that. He is better than what you could ever even imagine. Jesus is a better daddy. He is a better husband. He is a better brother. He is a better friend. And yet he is better than even those words that we use to try to describe Jesus. He is the best shepherd. And yet I cannot describe him and know him this side of heaven as good as a shepherd as he is. But I believe this, brothers and sisters, when it is all said and done, that when we cross over Jordan and into that place, and being with God that we will rejoice and we will say all of these things are like rubbish compared to knowing this Jesus. Not an American Jesus, not some made-up Jesus that we have conquered up, but the biblical Jesus that we will all say all that pain, all that circumstances, all of those difficult situations, that cancer, that sickness, that loss of a child laying in that coffin, this side of heaven, or on the, the, the true heaven and the true earth, we will look at all of those moments and we will say it was worth it. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus? I believe that it's part of my responsibility, Justin's responsibility, to help us to suffer well in a culture that runs against suffering. May we at Mission Church Suffer well, brothers and sisters, Jesus, as we look to Jesus as he is our refuge, as he is our strength. Let's pray.